Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Calm Bach Beef. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. 
Tasty Grubs by Tasty Worms Nutrition are the original dried black soldier fly larva made right here in the USA. Tasty Grubs are high in protein and calcium, vital nutrients for laying hens. Customers have reported an increase in shell quality, egg taste, and a reduction in molting time. For a limited time, get a bag of Tasty Grubs 100% free. Simply enter tastyworms.com forward slash whisper into your web browser and add one to your cart today. Save 10% on all other products such as dried mealworms by entering the coupon code whisper at checkout. That's tastyworms.com forward slash whisper. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We have poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D., and uh, for, we're welcoming her for a special Poultry Research Translated episode. Very exciting. Uh, one of my favorites uh, with uh, Dr. McRae when she comes on because she'll take uh, current and not so current uh, research and then, of course, translate it uh, so we all understand it and maybe how it can uh, help our hurt or how maybe we can use that in our smaller uh, backyard flocks. And we've seen blog posts before on popular chicken blogs where they um, refer to a study and then uh, they, uh, you know, they can't translate it. They don't have the um, experience or the knowledge to translate what, what the study shows. The study may be completely about broilers and they'll just say, guess what? 
this is going to help your eggs or this is going to help your hands, and, and there's no, been no research at all. Uh, so it's really interesting to see this over the years, over the years, over the years, where someone will take a study and they'll just take the, uh, the headline or a bit and piece or the talking points of it, and, and they won't read the study, they won't even understand the study, and then they'll say, hey, guess what? This prevents that, or this does this, or this does that, and it may be boilers versus hens. It may be a totally different breed. It may be a totally different, um, totally nothing, nothing even similar to what they're saying uh, works. So one of my most exciting shows, we'll head over to the phone lines right now, and we'll bring on my good friend, Dr. McCray. Hey, Doc, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Andy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Yep, 2017. Looking forward to a great year. We're making great progress on the new book. In fact, I will be sending you and Dr. Patisky and, let's see, Dr. Nichols and Dr. Um, oh, my gosh, uh, Buchanan and Dr. Gehrig and there's several more. Um, probably over the weekend, uh, a whole list of um, – uh, challenges or statements that y'all kind of been assigned Ooh. for the book, yeah, and we can start working on this. We're really making lots of progress. I, I got a cover, a sample cover that the artist has created uh, last week, and uh, I got the, kind of the official title as well that they're going to try to run with. I just have to uh, prove that, and then uh, so we're really making some progress on the fact or chicken poop book, so that's very, very exciting, and um, I haven't really really too much stop thinking about what you and I, I'm not, going to share, I'm not going to share it, but what you and I talked about, I guess it was yesterday or the day before, because I'm very excited about that. I think that has great opportunity, and um, <clears throat> I just foresee um, a lot of people can come on board with that to help that program financially and with product and things like that, because I, I don't know <laughs> where that. I don't think where that really where that's being done at the scale you and I talked about, so that'll be cool. I'm going to have to try to... Uh, maybe find some uh, RV accommodations near uh, uh, um, Auburn so uh, I can stop by and spend some time. I'm looking forward to that without spilling the beans to, to everybody that listens to the show. So, But, um, yeah, so today, Poultry Research Translated, and uh, um, I'm, I'm ready. This is always one of my favorite shows that you do. Well, I'm going to have a lot of interaction with you today, Andy, because oh. – one of the things I've noticed over the years as we've known each other, I mean, you've, you've, you have learned to ask some very tough questions, and, and being fearless when asking questions is, is part of what you're sharing with your listeners, and I, I hope sometimes it's translated to some of your listeners being equally fearless and, and asking the tough questions. Um, sometimes we researchers are asking the same questions but we also have to add the question of, and who's going to fund this research? Why should they fund this research? But when you come across research journal articles where somebody got the work done, got it completed, written up, and published, then I'm so pleased to share it with your listeners. And, Andy, in a paragraph, how do people feel about antibiotics and chicken feed? You know, it really depends on who you ask, and it's it's very interesting. I would say in the backyard, small flock um, arena, if you will, that uh, you 
probably the majority of them are going to say, oh, no antibiotics, no GMO, none of this, none of that, all natural, um, and, you know, all this stuff, and organic, and no antibiotics at all, and, um, but then they'll be the first ones to go when they have a sniffle to the doctor to get an antibiotic in them. Uh, but, but <laughs> a lot of them will be. And you're right. Uh, and a lot yeah. of countries and a lot of, of businesses have pulled antibiotics, um, sub-therapeutic antibiotics from the feed. Um, they'll still give antibiotics to birds that are sick. It's not that they're denying the bird's treatment if there's an actual illness, but using sub-therapeutic levels of antibiotics as a growth promoter um, Sorry, I just got a, a showing uh, request on my phone. Hold on just a second, because I'm selling my house right now, Andy. Just, just hold on just a second. But tell, Go ahead. tell others about um, how you feel about antibiotics in the feed for backyarders. Sure, absolutely. Um, if you talk to a lot of, and we've had a lot of commercial farmers on the show, and we've had a lot of organic farmers, we've had a lot of poultry up, uh, folks that raise small, uh, pasture-raised poultry. We've talked to them all. we picked all of their brains. And, and I think as, as a general rule, uh, by far, the, I think the majority of the Americans now um, are seeing the um, downside of giving animals, especially animals in our food stores, um, antibiotics and, and for just, just the, oh, we're just going to give them this all the time just to pre- as a prevention instead of a treatment, uh, and, and that we all have think, have, know that's been done. But I think we've made great strides thanks to the voice of the American people because you've got folks like now Purdue and Tyson and the big boys that have now seen that. They've seen the studies. They've seen the results from the CDC and the FDA that show, hey, you know, this, this right now in America, the human health issue of the, uh, the antibiotic-resistant bacteria that we have in part is coming from uh, you using human antibiotics in our food source and our animals that we use for our food source. So I think that um, they've seen the proof of that. And so they've made great strides now. You see it all the time. Uh, no uh, antibiotics ever. I think they're even using that. Mm-hmm. No antibiotics ever. N-A-E. Uh, that, that's one of them. No antibiotics name. ever, N-A-E. Well, and along so, uh, those lines, I've uh-huh. got a research study I wanted to share with you. That, um, what One of your products that you have been promoting, um, this has a slight tie-in. You know the mealworms? or the the insects, freeze-dried insects that people tend to give their their chickens. Um, In the most recent issue of Poultry Science Journal, um, they have a cool study. And I was just like, gosh, this ties in so nicely to what a lot of the backyarders' concerns are. Um, Plus, you have an interest in in, um, um, insects that are grown in the U.S., although this study takes place in, in Korea, South Korea, um, I wanted to share it with you, and it's it's called The Efficacy of Mealworm and Super Mealworm Larvae Probiotics as an Alternative to Antibiotics Challenged Orally with Salmonella and E. coli Infection in Broiler Chicks. Now, you know, you can get a study done pretty quick with broiler chicks because they're done in about six or seven weeks. Uh-huh. That's probably why they did this. Um, so grain of salt, number one, this is meat chicken. 
And so, you know, you heard me mention mealworm and then super mealworm. Um, you know, it's basically a dried product and they're slightly different um, species of insect. They're both, uh, they're both the, the black um, beetle that you can see um, originated in Europe, but it's the little lesser mealworm beetle that, um, you know, people tend to use when they're, when they're feeding their chickens, uh, happy hen treats, which, you know, I've done to train my chickens this, that, or the other. Um, and since, since a lot of the companies are taking a hit on growth um, and efficiency, they have explored probiotics to see, all right, we can't do antibiotics. All right, let's take a look at these probiotics. Are any of them good? And, yeah, you know, they're, they do pretty good. But when you actually challenge the birds themselves with an infection situation, you change the dynamic in the gut mm-hmm. almost entirely. So with this study, when they actually looked at salmon – go ahead. So see, there's a particular term that, that – people use, the scientists use, and it's and, and kind of the theory here, to people know, as, and, as layman's terms, is by giving the pro and prebiotics that you have a container, i.e. the gut, and if you fill that container with good bacteria, if you fill it with good bacteria, there's no place for bad bacteria, and there's a word for that, scientific word, and I can't remember exactly what that is. Competitive exclusion. There you go. And so, uh, yeah, so fill, fill, that, fill that cup with good bacteria, and there's no room for the bad bacteria. So that's where the prebiotics, probiotics kind of come into play at, at a layman's scale. But, but what, you know, all the classes that I've taken and set in on regarding that uh, is, is used all the time regarding that same uh, scenario. So go ahead. Yeah, I just and a lot of people, when they're giving yogurt to their chickens, they think they're feeding the gut with, you know, acidophis or lactobacillus and really what they're doing is initiating some diarrhea and temporarily changing the pH of the gut. Um, and what else they're doing uh, we don't really know. <laughs> well, you know that they're giving them things their chickens don't need like high fructose corn syrup and all that sugar yeah. and yeah. that they don't need. Exactly. <clears throat> so the interesting thing is um, this study uh, they they basically had three groups. The control, which was a regular diet. Group one, which was the um, the mealworm diet at 0.4%, and that's on a, a dry basis. So they had the basal diet, and they mixed in with it the the regular mealworm. And then the third group was the super mealworm. At, 0.4% again. You've got the regular diet mixed in with, on a dry matter basis, the super mealworm. And on day one, they gave those birds uh, an inoculation that contained both Salmonella enteritidis and Escherichia coli or E. coli. And they gave it individually to each bird um, orally through the mouth. Um, gave them a very specific amount, and it was a fair dose. And after one week, they looked at growth performance, immunity, mortality. They looked at internal organ weights and both the the flora of the gut 
in the cica and in the fecal area. So they looked at average daily gain, average daily feed intake, feed conversion ratio, which we know is very important, especially if you can't give these birds gross promotants, you don't want to give them something where the birds stop eating or they take a hit on feed conversion ratio. Right. And what they found was that all of these things reacted very positively. So feed for feed conversion ratio decreased. Hey, we want that. We want to see feed conversion ratio decrease. That means it takes less feed to create a meat in the bird. Um, feed intake increased. Average daily gain increased. Um, and so, you know, this this is this is looking positive. Now that doesn't mean folks should go out there and shove a bunch of uh, happy entries in front of their chickens and expect good things to happen. Remember, this is 0.4% added on a dry matter basis to their regular pelleted diet or their regular crumble diet. Um, so, going back to some of the other things they looked at, mortality decreased. Uh, they looked at the immune system and it. The levels increased for IgG and IgA, which are indicators that the immune system didn't take a hit either. Um, and that was for both the mealworm and the super mealworm. The internal organs did not see any um, effect. I mean, they, they remained unaffected. Uh, but there was a redu reduced bursa of Fabricius weight. And the bursa of Fabricius is... is um, you know how we have a thyroid gland, Andy, to help anything that comes our way through our, our head region, through our eyes, nose, and mouth? Um, the chick has something similar for the back door. Um, the cloacal region has a little guardian there called the bursa of Fabricius. And um, they have a T-cell system, the thymus. We, don't ha we have thyroid glands. They have thymus glands. Okay. And so the, the bursa went down in weight. That's that's kind of good too because it didn't the bursa didn't feel like it had to really work hard or get bigger. Um, so they also looked at the levels of bacteria in the cica and the fecal microbiota. Uh, they looked at the pH, the contents, and they saw you know nothing really changed. They thought, you know, you you can change up the amount of bacteria or the type of bacteria that are in the gut just by changing the pH. If you change the living conditions, um, the people who move in or move out will will change. So it seems that this looks really promising as an alternative to antibiotics. But I'm sure some of your listeners are going, great, but why are we feeding bugs to chickens? Well, they're omnivores, and insects are part of the diet of chickens. Um, and another thing to consider is there has been research as to what these insects, these mealworms and super mealworm larvae are, are doing to the birds. And we find that the actual chitin structure of the body is of benefit to the birds. Um, 
you know, they've got a really good amino acid uh, balance. There's a good balance between essential and non-essential amino acids. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have concerns about feeding veg- vegetable protein um, strictly to birds. And I feel the same way. If it's an omnivore diet, well, we better get back to some of the other things that they eat, which are mostly insects given where they, they live. Um, so taking a look at the the, the chitin um, exoskeleton of the insects, I think that's really interesting and exciting. Um, so I'm I'm wondering where this is going to go, and and if we aren't going to see some some more insect production to the benefit of the poultry industry to meet the dietary needs of the birds and and also act as a a growth promoter. So I thought that was just a really kind of cool study to talk about and I mean all around it was well designed and a kind of an exciting way to to take a look at it and there really weren't any big knocks that I had right off the bat um, when taking a look at this so um, for your listeners out there uh, should you start feeding um, happy hen treats as a, a separate container yeah. out there for your chickens I don't know but everything in moderation, please. <laughs> that's, that's always yeah. the moral of my story. <clears throat> I wonder. I wonder if they like did another study and said, "Okay, we're going to give in another form the exact amount of protein that these mealworms and super mealworms are providing, or whatever it may be, um, and uh, soybeans, whatever, and um, and see if we get the same outcome, and so to see if it's a protein." issue that's helping out or maybe some other something that's in the insects, quote unquote, that's giving them this benefit. So that, that's what I'd like to see. Well, it okay, does that's... seem to be the actual insects themselves because the, the regular diet, the control diet was a, a regular corn soy diet. So uh-huh. it, I think, I think it'll be exciting to see if they maybe move on to laying hens next and, and uh, I'll be watching what this research group in South Korea does. Kind of neat, kind of exciting. Kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. Watch one of my favorite shows. And then uh, on a completely different topic, uh-huh. get ready, I'm switching gears. Um, one group in Australia took on the topic of eggshells as determined by the type of production system and the age of the flock in laying hens. So this may be of more interest to some of your listeners. I hope so. Um, It's called Egg Production System and Flock Age on Eggshell and Egg Internal Quality Measurements. So um, this is kind of taking a look at, all right, we've got different production systems. We've got the cage system. We've got free range system. And then we've got something that's kind of in between, and that's called the barn system. In Australia, they call it the barn system. Here in the United States, we call it an aviary system, where the birds aren't in cages, but they're still inside a um, environmentally controlled chicken house. They have tiers or stacks of not cages, 
because there's no fronts to the cages, but um, they can kind of get up and away from each other by going up the stack. Um, they can lay eggs there, get water, food. It's all augered in or piped in. Um, and then the eggs are taken out on conveyor belts. Just like you would for a cage system, except for they're not in individual or not in small cages anymore. Um, so what they did is they took a very close, and I mean microscopically close, look at the eggshell itself. The eggshell has several parts. There's the papillary layer, the mammillary uh, layer, and then there's the cuticle layer. Um, we, we have often talked about the cuticle and uh, as it relates maybe to egg dying or the bloom. Sometimes we call it the bloom. Uh, but this study um, wanted to measure eggs from different flocks. Uh, essentially, all the birds were raised together until a certain age, and then they were split up into different housing systems, randomly um, split up. Uh, they looked at uh, the completeness of the cuticle cover on the eggs, the um, protoporphyrin quantification, so that's the shell color, and um, egg internal qualities. Uh, they did actually look at egg weight and um, a few other features like egg reflectivity, um, the ultrastructure of the, the mammal, mammillary layer. Uh, so it's not exactly something that your high schooler is going to be able to pull off for a science fair project. But I thought maybe your your listeners might want to realize that, okay, we talk about raising these chickens in different types of housing systems. And, yeah, a lot of your listeners have chickens that free range, what are you doing to the shell? A lot of people will say, oh, the shells are stronger. Well, really that only matters for getting your product to market. Uh, if you're taking good care of your eggshells as you're just bringing them in from the house, um, it's not so much an issue. So what did they find out? All right. So some of their results were um, – they looked at, let's see, I lost my spot. <laughs> I, yeah, I looked up for a moment, and then I looked back down. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, okay. I think I found my spot. All right. There was a, um, a significant difference in the production system with regard to shell reflectivity, egg weight, and the egg internal quality. And those, of course, Flock age. As the birds age in a flock, some differences in what you get um, in the product that they yield. Um, there was a big interaction between the production system that the birds were in and how old the flock was. And that was more so for the mammillary cap and then um, some of the ultrastructure for the mammillary uh, layers. So cuticle cover was higher in the barn eggs, or what we call the aviary system eggs, followed by free range, and then lastly, the cage eggs. The completeness of the cuticle cover was higher in eggs for young flocks than for old flocks. That makes sense. 
Yeah. As a flock ages, they get, you know, I mean, everyone goes gangbusters at first, and then they get older and get tired out, and uh, 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 putting out those eggs gets a little harder and harder, even for these backyard flocks. And then for eggshells with the intact cuticles, um, there was a product, uh, an interaction between the production system, flock age, uh, and also the color was affected, the color of the eggshell. Um, and what they did in part of this to look much more closely microscopically, they took a gram of eggshell, um, some with and some without the cuticle, and they looked at um, the actual protoporphyrin, and they found that there was more protoporphyrin in caged eggs, followed by free-range eggs, and then barn eggs. So, hmm, if you want brown eggs, hmm, okay, this could be, this could be interesting. Um, so give and take on this particular article, the um, eggs from the cage production system were essentially darker, contained more pigment um, within the calcareous part or the calcium-containing part of the shell, but for the barn system, the cuticle cover was more complete, um, and the egg weight, however, was generally lower. So give and take. You can't have it all, yeah. apparently, at least not yet. <laughs> and so if you're letting your birds have more freedom and roam about, you may you may not want to use those eggs for egg artwork. You might get better results from using a um, store-bought egg. So just something to, to think about. And, of course, all your listeners have different needs and wants for their flocks. Just something to share with them as they go through um, their daily lives and enjoy their chickens. Now, none of these studies are actually with backyard flocks, so it could be entirely different for them. I don't know. And I'll mention also as well, because it's, it's one of the things we've talked about on the show many times, um, and that is that it's interesting that so many people out there think the bloom is something like uh, Superman's body armor. I mean, it's like, this thing has got the bloom on there. You can run a tank over it. Ain't nothing getting in there. It's like, I mean, if we could, if we could paint our human bodies with this bloom that everybody thinks is just absolutely so awesome, then none of us would be ever getting sick. And so they, the bloom, the bloom, the bloom, the bloom. Oh, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this. You could put this egg under a nuclear bomb and nothing's going to happen because of the bloom. <laughs> I'm serious. Some of these folks, just, the bloom is, a, and, and it's not, perfect it does a good job it does what it's supposed to but but at the end of the day it is not perfect stuff can get through and so it's not just this amazing incredible awesome i mean it is amazing incredible but you know the incredible edible egg but it's uh, just to let folks know that <laughs> it can get there so uh yeah exactly because you just hear that all the time cool hey, uh, we got time Andy, for one more you're breaking up a little bit can you hear me okay i can hear you loud and clear maybe it's just on my end well, I am yep. calling from home, and if you start having trouble hearing me, I'll go switch phones, okay? No, you have been loud and clear. Oh, good. Yep. And I haven't been paying attention to time, so is it time for a commercial? Uh, yeah, we can do a commercial, and we come back, and maybe we have time for one or uh, two more. 
uh, to wrap up the show with. So that sounds uh, awesome. Folks, we are talking about poultry research translated with my good friend, uh, poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae. And uh, we'll be back uh, in just a few minutes with even more poultry research translated. So make sure you stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Strombergs family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. McMurray Hatchery is the world's oldest and largest rare breed hatchery. They have been providing their customers quality poultry since 1917 and have more than 110 different breeds to choose from. Be sure to sign up for their weekly special email at mcmurrayhatchery.com and receive a $5 internet exclusive coupon to use on your first internet order. McMurray Hatchery, the world's largest and oldest rare breed hatchery. All righty, thank you very much for, uh, for staying with us today. I want to remind everybody, uh, if you go back and listen, uh, the first commercial break at the beginning of the show um, Tasty Grubs, uh, Tasty uh, Worms Nutrition. In our commercial, there's a specific link, and you can go there, and you can get a free sample bag of their Tasty Grubs. Okay, so I want to remind everybody, 
if you go back and listen to the first commercial, first part of the show, um, and listen to the uh, Tasty Grubs, um, Tasty Worms Nutrition commercial uh, and ad, you'll get a link uh, that you can go to online and just uh, add it to your cart. You don't even have to pay shipping. I mean, you'll just get this in the mail. It won't cost you a dime, and you can try their Tasty Grubs, which are, let me emphasize, USA sourced. Their Tasty Grubs are sourced right here in the USA, and uh, tremendous, tremendous feedback from when we had, we had, we gave away over 800 packages of these, and we got, again, tremendous feedback from, from our listeners, so uh, you, the offer's still good by listening to the show, you just go to the, that, I think it may be a Tasty Worms, Maybe it's tastyworms.com forward slash chicken whisper or something, but it's it's in that uh, commercial. So you can go back and listen to the show again. They're all archived and get that um, uh, link, and then you can get a free bag as well. So we hope that you will do that. Also, um, we just uh, I just got a message from Lisa down at Fort Christmas Farm, and both sounding good. You you're sounding good, Dr. McCray, and myself. Uh, she has no <laughs> has a kind of technical issues at all, so it's either on your end or my end. So I thank you very much, Lisa, for putting my mind at ease about uh, having to maybe reboot or do something here on my end with the switchboard. So that sounds great. Um, so uh, we can time for one or maybe two more before we uh, say goodbye. Okay. Well, um. I was starting to get some spotty reception with you, so I switched to a different phone anyhow. Can you hear me okay? Uh, You're loud and clear. Cool. Okay. Well, since I'm cleaning my office out because I am heading to Auburn University in a couple of weeks, um, every time I pull a a shelf of books off, I end up opening one or two and um, came across a couple of articles that I thought, you know, they're older research, but your listeners may find it interesting. Um, one of them was from the 60s, early 60s, and it was observations on eating patterns and rate of food passage of birds fed pelleted and unpelleted diet. So this was um, research done at Washington State University in Pullman. So any Washington Washingtonians out there, uh, shout out to you. This research um, was a very small study, but the reason why it caught my eye was because not only the topic, but I thought this would be great for someone who had to do a science fair project and wanted to do their own chicken. It's easy enough that they could do it too. So let's talk about it. Um, why was this research done? Well, we weren't sure in the beginning um, how best to get these diets into the birds. Um, You know, there was often some question as the integrity back then of the ingredients post-pelletization. When a feed is pelletized, it's extruded into a pellet form, which is hard-packed, but it also goes through a lot of heat changes. And there was concerns that we might be losing vital nutrients. Um, so there was still, you know, hey, you know, I think we're doing better with the mash feed or the unpelleted feed. And uh, so this study was very small. What they did is they, they looked at four turkeys and four chickens. What breed of chicken? New Hampshire's. I think that's a very popular breed still. So um, essentially they put these birds in a cage and stuck a student down in front of them. Pretty sure it wasn't the researcher themselves, but 
stuck a student <laughs> down in front of him and gave him probably gave him food and water and said, "Watch these birds." <laughs> um, <laughs> but don't move because it was a twelve-hour observation period. Oh, um, so each bird was observed for two 12-hour periods. Um, as soon as the lights turned on, the feeders were attached to the pens and the collection of data started. Um, a record was kept of the number of times each bird went to the feed trough and then using a stopwatch, they measured the length of time of each feeding. Now, that's something any kid could do with their own flock. Um, they may want to take one of your products, like, say, they might want to compare Tasty Grubs and Happy Hen Treats or something like that and use maybe three or four of their birds or whatever birds they have that they can they can watch and differentiate between. Um, but if all your chickens look the same, I'd put different maybe leg band colors on them or something like that so you can differentiate the birds. Uh, and not get them mixed up. And um, at the end of each feeding period, the feeder was removed and weighed to determine the quantity of feed consumed. And so in order for one person to collect all the data for only four birds, you know, that's why they only had four birds because, you know, otherwise people were getting them mixed up. Um, and how old were these birds? Well, those chicks were 21 days of age and also 28 days of age. So looks like they did these observations about a week apart. For the turkeys, they did 38 days of age and then again at 45 days of age. So that would be something cool to put on a poster presentation. And um, what were the results of this particular study? Um, well, Oh, and I forgot to mention they were broad-breasted bronze poults, turkey poults. Uh, there was very little difference in the number of times that the birds either ate mash or pellet. Um, and so the, the number of times that the birds went to a feed trough every day didn't vary between the two types of feeds. But the amount of time that each bird spent at the feed trough was tremendously different. The turkey poults, let's start with them. The poults that were fed the mash, they spent an average of over seven minutes for each meal, so each time they went to the feeder. Whereas the turkey poults that were fed pellets, they were there for an average of less than a minute. So pulse-fed mash used 18.8% of their 12-hour day eating, while those fed pellets used only 2.2%. Um, similar trend for the baby chicks, um, the New Hampshire chicks, but there wasn't such a huge difference. Um, chicks that were on the mash spent 14.3% of their day eating, but those that ate pellets were feeding only 4.7% of the day of the 12-hour period, sorry. So, you know, they also weighed the, the feeder, remember, and they found that during the observations, both the poult and the chicks fed the pellets, consumed slightly less feed each day than the birds that were fed mash. Now, that can be of great interest to those who are in um, sensitive areas of the country where maybe 
phosphorus excretion is an issue. Um, you know, you don't want the birds to run through feed and then deposit it on the ground where then it can run off and pollute waterways. That's something to consider. Um, you could also reverse that point of view and say, well, since 60% of the day of the, the bird's day is spent in um, exploration behavior, maybe we should feed them a mash. And um, so they're, they're kind of fulfilling more of their exploration behavior. My concern with that is being that I'm a microbiologist is I know that the heat treatment for pedalization um, does kill the bacteria that can come in with the ingredients. So maybe if, if um, this were to be done again, uh, and there could be a study that did this later on, they should look at crumble to see if it's closer to mash or closer to pellet with regard to time, uh, number of feeding events, as well as the amount consumed. Just something to consider. And you know what's fascinating to me with that is that, and some people listening and who listen to the show may already know this, but they're about to learn it if they don't already know this, but thing that these large companies like Kalmbach Feeds and all the others that are out there, they produce the pellet first. And then once they put all this energy in, in, in having that mold where the, mat, the, the, the product goes in and it's pressured through that mold to make the pellets, and then it, um, the, all the pellets are made first, and then they take the pellets they just spent all that time making and just smash them up into crumble and put them in a bag and sell them. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, <laughs> very, very interesting. A lot of people have no idea. Um, they think totally different machines, totally, everything. But, yeah, they uh, those crumbles that you're feeding in the bag were at one time pellets, and they just smashed them up yeah. and made them into crumbles. You like to prefer you prefer to feed that or you don't like to feed that. So, And a lot of people have no clue about that. It's, it was fascinating to me when I learned. I was like, what? what are you talking about? Why would you go through all this time to make this nice little pellet and then just crumble it up? So, um, yes, yeah, pretty, pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> Along the same lines, one of the things that people don't realize is the amount of time that a diet spends in the gut has a big bearing on how well the birds utilize the diet. And the form that that diet takes in the body as its intake can can be a question. And so they actually looked at the transit rate of the diets in the birds. So they, they actually fed those two different types of diets along with a marker. And, um, you know, they fasted the birds for two hours and then they gave the diets uh, either in mash or in pellet form along with a marker that was, um, you know, and then, of course, there was a control group that had no marker. Um, and they looked, they, you know, we are scientists and poop inspectors, of course, so... Um, someone had to collect the excreta, and um, you know they they took a look at the 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 you know, transit period. That how long did it take for that marker to actually show up in the dropping? And um, of course, they did this with uh, the New Hampshire chicks, and they actually did it again with single comb white Leghorn chicks because we know that they're they're um, uh, they eat less feed and they're more efficient in their egg production. So um, what the results were was that the percentage of um, the marker in the excreta by hours um, 
was actually a kind of a bell curve. And so you saw a little bit, and then at about five hours after they started feeding was the peak of the excreta after um, after the birds started consuming feed. So uh, birds are, they need a high-energy diet because the food passes through so quickly because, you know, they're, they're birds, that flight is part of the equation. And so, you know, maximum they went out to 10 hours. Uh, so, I mean, feed from one feeding can last in them for up to 10 hours, but the bulk of it is done and through the birds between four and six hours after you fed them. So you go out there, you feed your chickens in the morning, you go to work, and by the time you're eating lunch and moving on to your mid-afternoon meetings, they're out there making presents for you to clean up when you get home. So something to consider (laughs) if you're going through your daily routine and thinking about, what are my chickens doing right now? Boping. That's the short answer. <laughs> That's a safe bet right there. Pretty safe bet. I wonder what they're doing right now. And oh, it really man. didn't matter if it was mash or pellets. That was basically the same same pattern for both. So there really was no difference between um, the food passage and the, the two types of of diets. So um, could could a young person do that? Yes. Possibly, but I think you'd have to start with a bird that has an empty gut. And a lot of a lot of young people, I wouldn't encourage them to um, starve their birds. But maybe if they if they fed them and then let them uh, took the food away uh, the evening before, and maybe put them in a in a crate or something where they couldn't eat the litter, something with maybe blankets, um, and then fed them something that they were testing, like, say, herbs or something like that, they could probably, you know, sit there and and wait for the birds to poop and measure how how long it takes them to have that happen versus their regular diet. Um, And that's just something that, you know, I don't think I don't think a lot of people would be really willing to do that, but that's something a, a young person, if they were really diehard and interested in in nutrition and how food transits through the body, they may want to to measure something like that. Cool, that's awesome. <laughs> We're gonna wrap it up there in five minutes, but um, it, it, it cracked me up. Here. Yeah, and so this study, they uh, uh, the scientists probably just paid one of their students or just brought them some food and a drink and said, okay. Stay here and watch these chickens. Yeah, yeah. There's so much that needs to be studied, and um, I think the Factor Chicken Poop book will uh, um, really bring a lot of that to light. Um, and, I didn't even um, realize that last study was more like your chicken poop than anything else, your fact and chicken poop. Facts about yeah. chicken poop. There you go. There you go. So, and we are poop inspectors, or should be. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, absolutely. So, uh, oh yeah, these were good. I enjoyed these. Uh, I always, I've never yet not enjoyed a poultry research translated episode that you bring uh, to the show, and we're so glad that you do that. And we're starting another awesome year here in 2017, first show of the year, and it was another good one with uh, um, 
Dr. McCray, and it looks like you'll be back on the 20th unless you're right in the middle. Uh, no, I'm not the 20th, the 19th, unless you're in the middle of a move or or, or whatever. So I'm going to keep it on the 19th. And that's let that's my second to last day at Dell State. So I should be able to accommodate you. That'll be awesome. Well, Happy New Year to you. Thanks for a great show. We'll see you on the 19th, and uh, happy uh, happy chickening. <laughs> you too. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Take care. All righty, that's going to wrap up another show today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach. 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 From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, we'll see you next Thursday. Uh, it'll be um, wow, poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Pateski. Don't have a topic yet, but I guarantee it'll be one that'll interest you uh, to help you take care of your flock a little bit better. So uh, until next time, power to the poultry, and uh, hey, enjoy your chickening. God bless everybody. <laughs> Thank you.